Welcome to In the Arena with Now, where we explore what it would look like for every child, parent, and family to have equitable access to critical resources and opportunities they need to lead healthy, thriving lives and have a seat at the table to drive solutions. I'm your host, Rhonda Alexander, Director of Operations for the Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, an initiative of the Vital Village Network at Boston Medical Center. In our last episode, we took a deeper dive into the Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, otherwise known as NOW, and heard from one of the coalitions representing the NOW Learning community. Trendle, Stephanie, and Amy of the Young Child Wellness Council in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, shared their approach to developing and implementing targeted cross-system outreach and prevention services for the communities they serve, beginning by building deep and authentic relationships with families in the Crescent East housing community. In this episode, we'll be hearing from one of our five mentor-in-residence communities. During the application and selection process for the Now Learning community, we had the opportunity to connect with coalitions across the country who are doing amazing work to help children and families thrive. While we could only invite a limited number to join the learning community, there were some coalitions whose approach and expertise really stood out. Dr. Lawanda Wesley and Neva Bandalo of the California Consortium for Equity in Early Care and Education are working diligently to ensure that the next and future generations of leaders in early child care represent the communities they serve. Let's get started. So can you both spend a little bit of time just introducing yourselves? Tell me who you are, your particular role, and let's start with how you got to that role. So my name is Neva Bandalo, and my work is co-directing the California Consortium for Equity in Early Care and Education. I arrived at this role as this emerged. This was a project that emerged from a fellowship that I was in, which is the Equity Leaders Action Network through BUILD. Part of our work was to develop a project that would help to interrupt systemic racism, specifically for children or communities um, serving children zero to five. And my name is Lawanda Wesley. I'm the other co-director of the California Consortium for Equity in Early Care and Education. And I came into this work when I met Neva, and it was with Alameda County Early Care and Education Program. And um, as she was in the process of going through her fellowship, I had joined the organization and had just finished my own dissertation work um, on the topic of preschool leadership and looking at those of color in leadership or the lack thereof. And so um, from there, it became pretty much a happy marriage. We just started to really dance around with what what are some of the issues that are in our field when it relates to the children being served and the leadership that is serving them and how can we interrupt inequities that exist in those places. Well, wonderful. I have started to hear some great things at um, Build Elan Fellowship Network. So I'm so excited to have a fellow with us. And I'm even more excited to hear a little bit more about the California Consortium Equity and Early Care and Education, just specifically because equity is such a huge issue. It's so important to us. So can you tell me a little bit more about the coalition and specifically what do you all exist to do? So uh, the consortium, it, it, it exists similar to what I was sharing earlier, is to interrupt 
the inequities in early education, what we realized is that the demographic of children served in our program was one population, but the leadership was another. The teacher demographics mirror that of the children, and we found that there was parity there. But what wasn't aligned was actual leaders who were serving these programs and leading these programs. And we became very curious as to why. Why why is there inequity? Why aren't there more leaders of color in the field of early care and education? What's missing? What's causing that? And how do we interrupt that, examine that, explore that, and so forth? I think it's so important that you said you were seeing teachers who who look like the students and the children that they served, but not leaders. Why is it important to have leaders of color in that space? When we look at the policies, the practices that are in place in early learning classrooms, in policy, we see that it is from a Eurocentric viewpoint. And what we create, perhaps unintentionally, is uh, lack of access, um, lack of quality in ways that make sense to the culture, the race, the children that we are serving. We know, research tells us that children look up to the leaders in the classroom, but if they're being treated inequitably, if the practices that the administrators, the curriculum is all Eurocentric, then we're really creating a barrier and contributing to the gap that we see in child success. Who's a part of the consortium and what are some of the things that you all are doing to disrupt that space? To date, who's a part of it is the California Early Childhood Mentor Program. So through some funding from the California Department of Education, the California Early Childhood Mentor Program, who was also funded by them, said we would like to provide additional support in the framework and the mentors. We have mentors typically years of experience and we really are trying to interrupt what has not been um, from a, a people of color lens. What we've seen, at least what I've seen just from my own personal experience being a person of color, is that some of the practices and the way that um, programs were connecting or not connecting with programs, is some of it had to do with, with the disconnect and understanding the, the unique cultures that were represented. So I was very curious about, like, why is that? And I was interested in my own journey. Why was I able, through a lot of hard work, but why was it so difficult? What was so challenging in not having a mentor myself, I found it very difficult and I needed that support. And I think that was something that we needed to take a look at. What are you learning through the disruption that you all are creating? We are learning from this is that many of the teachers in classrooms do not feel like their voice is valued. In Alameda County, we have a very diverse population. And when we have leadership that is not attuned to multiple cultures, um, to multiple ways of being, oftentimes the teacher's perspective, which may be more culturally responsive to the students that, you know, the children that are being served, they feel silenced. But we need to help them find the tools through data, through a historical study of systemic racism, and 
from their own self-reflections, but also through this cohort of learners, they themselves are diverse. And so they are learning and building relationships from one another. And once we build those relationships, then there's this trust in really revealing honest experiences, emotions, and it deepens their their will um, to to make changes, to reflect on our own biases and how those contribute um, to a society that is not equal access for all. What will come up is that they, when they start the program and they go deeper and deeper into the content, I'd say about midway, they start talking about how they felt marginalized. Um, and for example, opportunities for promotion would happen. But an example um, would be that here's this opportunity to be promoted, but in order to be promoted, you have to do these sort of prerequisite kind of, you know, leadership activities. But when asked to go to those leadership opportunities, they were told, no, this is not a good time. And so when they go to apply for these uh, positions that would promote within, they were denied because it's like, well, you needed to do these leadership activities that we've been doing the last couple of years. And so institutionally, you'll see how it's structured to not help those who might want to advance. Shared with a few, something such as field trips, who were being allowed and supported to go to field trips who weren't, and how those field trips were designed. If there was a cost factor, some families, just by the fact that it's a cost factor, won't be able to attend those field trips. What we know is an extension of a classroom. So, having the, the fellows be a part of this, one of the things we try to um, encourage them to do is examine policies and practices and see who's um, benefiting and who's not, who's being advantaged and who's not, just by the, the construct and the language and the design of the policies. What we have are layers of um, opportunity. And so we have embedded mentors in the program. And specifically, those mentors are there to help teachers who want to advance into a supervisory administrative role to understand the business end, for instance, of, of running an early learning program. So we look at budgets, we look at policy and practice. They help negotiate, you know, challenges that may come up and how an, an administrator helping to prompt them to think in sort of an administrative lens. Mentors are also learning about inequities at the same time. So they're receiving professional development, the mentors, while mentoring others. Then I think it's also important to note that while the interest in the California, from the California Mentor Program, their purpose is to uh, develop and cultivate mentor teachers and mentor directors who then serve across California. And so by hiring Rwanda and I in this role, they are also being the mentors understand their uh, work systems through an equity lens. And so for them and us, it's this win-win mutual purpose serving mm -hmm. that zero to five population. In the California Mentor Project, they reach out across all of California, including Northern, Southern, and Central. 
and it's over a hundred colleges. And I'm that's putting it mildly. And because they're uniquely situated at community colleges, we are going to touch emerging leaders and definitely emerging leaders of color. Um, from all the data and the research of where our profession is, most of our teachers and directors come through the doors of the community college. So you see that there's a, a perfect alignment and why we wanted to partner. And I also wanted to add that generally the early uh, educators are an aging population. And while we may not be able to change lens and practice, we do need to train um, to support, to build awareness, to ask those coming up to take action. And so we're really looking at succession um, as a as another intentional purpose behind the work that we do so that our next generation uh, is prepared and developing policies and practices and trainings that truly will meet the diversity needs of our populations and beyond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I'm understanding correctly, then your region and your community will be different in the sense that there will be an additional or new cohort or cadre who are much more representative of the communities you serve. That's exactly, you got it. That's exactly right. And again, if we, if we keep going back to the research, we'll see why this is so important. And another thing, we were really fortunate in um, um, UC Berkeley, and they've done a lot of research on demographics of our population. And one of the studies they did was a study called SQL. And it looked at the workforce conditions. And what they found was that 50, all, nearly 50% of our workforce, and that, that number may be growing, receiving some form of public subsidy, meaning they are on some type of housing voucher. They are receiving CalFresh, which was once upon used to be called food stamps, receiving cash aid, all sorts of medical support. So we know that the population whose earnings aren't there. And we also found it isn't remarkable to really look at the fact that it's an industry women. And on top of that, an industry of women of color, it's dominated by that group. So then you see these inequities and you see poverty. So the very same uh, workforce that we're asking to responsible and do really high level work with our children are the same ones who are facing some of their own challenges in life. And yet they show up to this work and not necessarily advancing if they if they have the desire or it's very difficult. So and going back to school is a challenge because of cost. So there's just so many layers to this work. So we're like, how can we design a leadership program that breaks down all of those barriers? And it's not about cost. It's not about prior um, policy or condition that has kept them out before. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking so much about members of the now learning community and some of our coalitions and the things that they're working on specifically around building leadership um, and creating a network of leaders. And so one question I have for you, so thus far, based on where you're aiming to go and where you're working to get to, what has been the impact of your work? Well, it was interesting to see the directions and the doors that opened and where some remained. And so we had one fellow began working with a board of supervisors for Alameda County and really looking at poverty and inequities at that level. 
also influencing the board the board of supervisors. And several actually did advance into administrative roles and they have let us know that they have reviewed the policies and that they're making, you know, significant changes. They, you know, we I can think of a, a particular fellow who talked about how different positive impacts that she sees at her center now and how they're really connecting and engaging families in authentic, very authentic ways. Another went on to a university where she was teaching a course in diversity to college students preparing to become teachers. And then some did remain in the classroom which is wonderful mm-hmm. as well. Uh, they've expressed that they are leading internally in their own classroom, that now they have more voice, that they've learned so much more about inviting families in and authentically. And I think that's the big piece with family engagement. It's authentically learning more, not only the teachers, of course, but the children in really understanding the world around them. And as I did mention, we have one fellow who is in early childhood, what we would say she moved from a teaching position to a lead teaching position, has come back as a mentor into the program. It's really exciting. We have some of our new fellows, and one has said this has been life-changing for her and that she has joined recently an affinity group for Black teachers that she's been sharing things back and forth. It is now impacting her colleagues who aren't in our space, but you can see the ripple effect. Um, and then they ha- she's having conversation with me one-on-one because at one point she was ready to go She's, and she's uh, been in the district for a number of years, was ready to start cleaning toilets um, to earn for additional you know, income. And I told her, I said, I, I, there's nothing beneath any of us to do whatever we need to do to take care of ourselves. But I see the greatness within you, and I would like to challenge you to think about how you could still earn money and additional funds for your family, a salary, and do it in the work that you love so dearly uh, and that kind of mentoring. And so recently she has been facilitating for the, the local resource and referral agency, a number of workshops. She has led uh, the, the district union and say, we want to talk about race and we don't want to be shy about it. And we want our voices heard. So she's led a campaign to facilitate to come out to her particular site and talk about race and privilege and microaggressions and been really bold in that and yet respectful in the work, right? And now she's, she's the fire is there. So it's amazing how this is within them, but when given a structure or, or a platform or networking opportunities such as what they have in the California Consortium for Early Care and Education, they blossom even more so. But I think they just sometimes need that connection because it's our, the leadership disposition is already there. It's just, being cultivated and nurtured. Which reminds me, Melinda, you helped me to think about one of our past fellows who ended up running for the school board. Um, and she had so much passion and really she she said that she had found her voice 
And although she did, she was not elected, just the very fact that she went from a classroom teacher run for school board, I think, shows remarkable impact. Yeah. And another one worked with the mayor, a small city worked with the mayor to do a health initiative. Now there's the, the McCormick Leadership Early Childhood Education, but we found that this leadership is one of a kind in the country. And we didn't realize it until we someone pointed it out to us and we're like, Wow, there is there are early child leadership initiatives out there across the country and even within state, but something so hyper focused on leaders of color. And uh, I think this is a form to not just have leaders of color be a part of this, but also those who don't look like them to come in and bring that voice to be a part of the the community has been amazing. I have just a few more questions for you. Your time has flown. I have so enjoyed (laughs) this conversation. I have shared a whole lot that you can be proud of. What are you most proud of? I'm most proud that we are cultivating systems change. And though the cohorts may be small in number, when I think about the work, the, the mindset changes, and how those can impact, you know, classroom students, generations, policy, I feel like we are creating systems change that will be ongoing. And I'm, I'm quite proud to think that we can make impact in that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Really proud that we, and even I collectively have the vision to be bold because there was a time even the name, the name in itself was being challenged and said it may not fly or we're going to get pushback or resistance, but that we've been able to stay steadfast in what we believe and let go of it and where we are currently as a result of that. I know we've been talking about all the great stuff. And I know that this takes a whole lot of hard work. So what has been challenging for you and and what challenges have you come across and how have you navigated those challenges? I'll begin. Um, I think that in initially, Melinda was talking about this, we we called out racial equity. And, you know, we are seeing, and I'm very happy to see that there's a bit more focus on equity these days. But honestly, when we launched this, that was not the case. And so it was very challenging in political types of organizations to say, we are focusing on racial equity. And that was a very first challenge, I think, that we faced. And then I think as far as even our programming, we had in mind what our curriculum would be and the the way in which we would roll out our curriculum. And yet we found that with our within our own cohort, there were multiple levels of understanding and willingness even to be open. And so it took time to cultivate that trust and relationship and and know that um, we needed to meet people where they were. And that was challenging to do. For me, personally, it's been the time commitment has been really tough um, because I believe so much in this work. I find myself wanting to just dive into this completely. So one last question. What are you looking forward to? What's next? I'm looking to actually go to scale. And to be quite honest, I love this work so much. And I just shared it with my supervisor, my boss. 
She goes, what do you, what do you love? I said, I love leadership. I love thinking about leaders and the potential who they can become with the right support. So I look forward to seeing this project go in the state of California. I would love to see this being offered at the community college level, very much so in creating a toolkit and mentoring other communities within our state, outside of our state, and I would even beg internationally. Um, For me, I'm looking forward to this expanding even further. I'm looking forward to developing, which is one of the next steps for us, a trainer module uh, so that we can train others to go out into the world and really spread this. Well, you ladies have spoken it into the universe, so it's coming. I cannot wait to to be there on the sidelines cheering you on as you do this amazing work because I think you are right. There's so many times that we don't focus on leaders and we don't focus on building the capacity of folks of color, leaders of color, educators of color, just people of color. And one of the things I've learned over the years is, um, you know, we move people into positions of management or not and expect them to know how to lead And we haven't set them up in that way. So I'm so excited and just really want to thank you all for taking the time to talk to me today. It is such an honor to have LaWanda, Neva, and the California Consortium for Equity in Early Care and Education as mentors to the now learning community. Their approach to transforming health equity and child well-being in their community, changing the face of the workforce, is another example of what it means to be in the arena. They are addressing the inequities they're seeing by creating the space and conditions for child care leaders to be more representative of the children and families they serve. The journey to building more equitable spaces and opportunities is not always easy, but this consortium has shown us that with commitment and persistence, we can begin to make shifts in our practices that will have a lasting impact on the lives of children, families, and communities. To learn more about the Networks of Opportunity for Child Wellbeing, please visit the online forum at networksofopportunity.org. Along with webinars, blogs, and links to this podcast, the NOW Forum hosts a ton of additional resources through our searchable database. This episode was produced by Rhonda Alexander and Diana Rivera, edited by Tiffany Rodriguez, with music composed by Morgan Breland. In the Arena with NOW is sponsored by the Vital Village Network at Boston Medical Center and made possible with funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.